today's scripture reading is going to come out of uh, the book of Acts. And then we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, and this is God's word, so let's pay careful attention. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, uh, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both the Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we, uh, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they were filled with new wine. Uh, this is God's word. So as we begin um, today's sermon, here's a helpful quote that I, I heard. A guy named Pastor John Orberg. He's a pastor in the West Coast of America. And he says this about waiting, this idea of waiting. Biblical waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Like most of our waiting in our lives is about waiting to what we get what, what we want, right? Waiting for that coupon order, waiting for that coffee. But biblical waiting is different. And Pastor John Orper says, waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. And we know the Bible, when we read through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, is full of stories of men and women who spent huge part of their lives waiting on God, waiting on God's promise. Story of Abraham waiting for his son, the promised son. Story of David waiting to become the king in the wilderness. Story of Moses waiting to enter the promised land. What about Noah and the ark waiting for that rain to come, enduring all the mockery by his friends and neighbors? Perhaps some of us this morning, you are in a season of waiting. Waiting on God, waiting for a new job, for God to provide you with a new job, waiting for a new place. You're moving. You're looking to move. A new person or something else. But we all know and we would all admit waiting is not easy. Waiting is actually hard. Emma has one of these favorite books by a guy named Mo Williams, and he says, waiting is hard. Waiting is difficult. And this morning, as it was read from our elder Evan, we are in the second chapter of Book of Acts. And we've started this series about three weeks ago. And right off the bat, in the Book of Acts, 
Luke reminds us, Luke is the author of the, of the book, once again, the importance of waiting. Importance of waiting on God. In fact, our season or our seasons of waiting on God is often what God uses to shape our hurried and anxious heart to His. Again, when we look at the scripture, our season or seasons of waiting is often the very thing that God uses to shape our hurried and anxious hearts to His heart. So let me set the stage for today's passage in Luke, in, in Acts chapter 2. The risen Jesus, who defeated death, is no longer with his disciples. Instead, he has ascended to prepare a place for them in the Father's house. That's what he says. And the disciples are now to carry the mission of God. That The mission that started from Genesis to King David to Jesus. Now they are to carry the mission of God forward until Jesus returns, as he promised. But Jesus tells them, first thing you must do is to stay in Jerusalem and wait on the promised spirit. So be, before Jesus departed, right in chapter 1, verse 4, he gave them very clear instruction to his followers saying, do not leave this city, Jerusalem, but wait for the promised spirit. He's coming. He's going to be here. And although these men and women... 120, it says. They, have, they haven't gotten a clue of the magnitude of what this means. What, what really this gift is going to be about. They, they really have very little idea. They obey and daily gather waiting for the Spirit. And that day, the Pentecost finally comes on the 50th day since Jesus' resurrection, Easter, and 10 days since Jesus' departure. And the Greek word Pentecost, everyone say Pentecost. Pentecost literally means number 50. It is a Greek name of a Jewish holiday called Shavuot, which also means, Shavuot in Hebrew also means weeks. So 50 plus weeks, 50 weeks. And Shavuot, uh, for the Jews, it was one of these major holidays that God had commanded His people to observe by bringing the first fruit, the offering of first fruit, and by celebrating the giving of Torah, celebrating the law. And you may wonder, man, celebrate the law? That law doesn't seem exciting. But if you know anything about the story of Israel, the law, Torah, was a wonderful gift for the people. For the people of God, right, it, through, through Torah, it was only through Torah, God's wonderful promises were declared over them. Right? It was also only through Torah, people, Jewish people were able to understand God's heart and passion. God's sense of righteousness, God's sense of justice. God says, take care of the widows and orphans. So they were able to see the character of God through Torah. And it was only through Torah, the law, people knew how to approach God in worship. God gave them clear instruction about the temple, the sacrificial system, what to bring, how to bring it, how to approach Him. So in every Shavuot, every Pentecost celebration, the city of Jerusalem was packed. Have you been to Costco Saturday morning? 
Do not go to Costco Saturday morning. It's a bad idea. I thought 8 a.m., no one will be there. No, the whole town was there, right? It's like Costco. Everybody was there, right? city of Jerusalem is small, and it was during the time of celebration like Passover and Shavuot, the city will be packed with Jews from all over the world coming to celebrate these festivals. If you imagine, every inn in town is booked, right? And there, there, is a, there is traffic everywhere. People are eating, buying, celebrating, right? And that's the backdrop of this very first Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrived into the hearts of His people. It was that day Jesus' dis disciples, as commanded by Jesus, had gathered in, in, a, in a large room, 120 of them, probably a large room. They were in the city, and as they were praying and waiting, chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 14, Luke highlights this two characteristics of the way they were praying and waiting. First, Luke says their prayer was of one mind. Everyone say one mind. So Luke uses this Greek word that describes their oneness. Right? It's one of Luke's favorite expressions. The word is homo thymadon. Homo thymadon, right? And it's this one, of the, one of Luke's favorite expressions used more than ten times in the, in the book. And, and what he's describing is they were of one purpose and one desire. People that were gathered, they prayed with one purpose and one desire. And really, when you think about it, this is what prayer does to a group of people, right? It brings, prayer brings a diverse group of people together under one purpose and vision, right? In fact, this was the secret sauce, if you would call that, that kept the early church together through the most challenging and difficult seasons of the church. Praying together. We should be praying together. Not just praying alone, but praying with one another together. Second thing Luke tells us about their praying, he says they prayed with great persistence. The verb translated joined here in the, in the text literally means to be persistent, to preserve. 120 men and women who had gathered in this upper room, they prayed with great perseverance. They did not give up. They were not discouraged. In fact, they encouraged one another to continue to pray to press in and keep on seeking the gift that God was about to unleash into their lives. So, so what that, that tells us, this passage tells us that biblical waiting is not inaction. When we think about waiting, we think about this idea of just not doing anything and sort of letting time pass by. But biblical waiting throughout the scripture is not inaction, but it is really pressing in on God's promises through prayer not just by yourself, but with others. Throughout Scripture, God's people are waiting. It's really about pressing in through prayer. So I want to encourage all of us, if you're in a season of waiting, some of us are pregnant, right? Some of us are expecting a baby. If you're in a season of waiting, be intentional, right? Pray with your spouse. Pray for this baby. If you're waiting for a new job, pray with your friends and with your family about this new job. Not just about getting the job, but about the opportunity to, to show the love of Christ with your new co-workers and your new office. It's about biblical waiting. It's not in action, but it's about pressing in on God's promises. 
So invite others. Pray with you in your season of waiting. Pray for you. Um, as a church community, we are in a season of waiting and discerning, right? This past week, you know, we've been told by the mall we need to move out, right, early this year. And there was many different conversations about can we stay here? Can we find another space within this mall? Well, I got an update from the management. Last Monday, I got an update. I got a call early in the morning. Um, and, and they basically said, we need to move out. There, there are no other options. All the options that were on the table are taken off the table. The leadership of Enter Six, they no, they no longer want to deal with this mall. In fact, because many of our church members are eating in these restaurants, they were kind of upset because they wanted these restaurants out as well. So in this conversation, I walked away knowing, okay, we really got to move. We got to move as a church, and God's going to guide us through. So, so, so guys, whether you're joining us online, joining us on site, it's time to pray. Not panic. I panicked a little bit on Monday, but no longer panicking. Right? It's time to pray. Pray together with persistence. So when God does give us space, because I, 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 I am confident that God is going to give us space that we need, we can move in with joy and excitement. You see, perhaps the season of waiting and playing has less to, less to do with God's provision. Like, I've been thinking about this. Like, this season of waiting and praying for a new space has less, less to do with God's ability to provide us a space, but more about God's desire to do something in the hearts of this congregation. So friends, let's be intentional about praying for this community, praying for this new space. Can we do that? Uh, wonderful news is God is already moving hearts. Doors are opening. I've had some really wonderful conversations this week. God thing, God, God's appointment. So I'll give you guys more update as these conversations develop. But again, I could be, I am, I am so excited because God has made it very clear that God is on the move and God is moving our community and we got to pray and seek him. But he's going to do it for us. But I, I really believe in this season, it's not really about God's ability to provide for us. It's God's desire as we look for this new space. Just as Israelites were, were walking into promise, and th there is something that God wants to do in us through this process. So can we pray together? All right. Back to the passage. Chapter 2, right? We're, verse 1, on this day of Shavuot, the Holy Spirit finally arrives. The promised Spirit finally arrives. And this is how Luke describes the, the arrival of Holy Spirit. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And before they knew it, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately began testify of the mighty works of God. The most wild part of this whole event was that people, as this, this, this tongues of fire-looking thing has rested on people, people immediately begin to testify and speak out the wonderful works of God in different languages. Like, could you imagine? We're, we're singing, we're worshiping, and many of us are from different places, and we have different, we speak different languages, right? We, and then all of a sudden, we're just busting out with your native tongue, worshiping, testifying 
of the goodness of God. I mean, that would be wild. And remember, the city was like Costco Saturday morning, filled with Jews from all of the region, right? This is not a big city, right? And, and verse 6, as people heard this whole commotion of the wind and the fire and the language being spoken out, quickly a crowd started forming. Later, Peter has preached the three, Peter preaches and 3,000 come to know Jesus. So you imagine this is a big crowd that have gathered by this time. And Luke does his best to put into words something that is almost impossible to describe. The imagery of wind and the fire. And to modern readers, these imageries of fire and wind may seem rather strange. It seems strange to us, these tongues of fire and the wind, but not to the Jews. Remember, right? For the Jews, the imagery of fire can mean only one thing. If you read throughout the Scripture, Old Testament, whenever fire comes, it's what? It's the presence of God. During Israel's time in the wilderness, God led them through the pillar of fire. It was out of the burning bush, bush on fire, that God called His servant Moses to lead His people. It was in the largest battle against the other prophets. Fire came down as a sign of God's confirmation. So for, for people that were in at the scene, in the city, everyone that had gathered in the city understood that this was an encounter with none other than Yahweh himself, the God of Israel, the God who had formed them, rescued them. Now he's about to enter in. And nothing about this movement will be ever same again. And it's the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us it's the Holy Spirit that hovered throughout the earth from the very beginning. Book of Genesis tells us Spirit was over the chaos. Right? Spirit was always there with the Father and the Son. And that very Spirit has continued to reveal Himself throughout Old Testament Scripture. This is not the first time we hear about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. He shows up in different places. Daniel and his friends are in the fire, and there's a, there's a fifth guy, Holy Spirit, right? And as promise, promises by Prophet Joel and, and, and Ezekiel and others, that same Spirit now takes his rightful place in the hearts of ordinary men and women like you and I, to empower these men, again, to continue the mission of Christ until He returns. So if you follow this story, verse 12, people who have gathered there begin to ask one another this very, very important question. So, so chapter 2, verse 12, people are seeing what's happening. People are gathering in this small part of the city, and they all ask, what does this mean? What is God trying to do here? What is God accomplishing through this event? You know, and, and, and really this, this, this text has, has ta been talked about in so many different ways about tongue, what does it mean to speak in tongue. But I don't think this passage is largely about God's people needing to pray in tongue. So today I'm not going to be covering so much of that, right? Many have made that the focus of this passage, right? Speaking in tongues. Like someone, when I was growing up, 
some missionary lady tried to teach me how to pray in tongue, right? It was like weird, totally weird. But she was like, this is what it says. You got you to be able to pray in tongue if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Some have gone as far to argue that if, if you're not speaking in tongue, you don't have the Holy Spirit, which is not correct, which is not true from Scripture. But again, I don't think that's really the primary point of this text. So again, I won't be spending much time on talking about this topic of speaking or praying in tongue. There are a lot of great resources. I think Bible Project did a great job. If you want to watch a video, I encourage you. But really, personally, I have met many godly people in my life who do pray in tongue and are edified and are truly blessed by the gift. But I have met many other godly people in my life who do not pray in tongue, yet they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you have the gift of speaking in tongue and praying in tongue, right, use it to edify the body, right? If you haven't received it, that does not mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. That, doesn't, that does not mean you're a level one Christian and other people are level five Christian. There are no levels in the kingdom of God. So what is the, if that's not the primary conversation around this text, so what is, then, then what is the primary teaching of this text? What is Luke trying to accomplish through this passage? You see, what Luke is trying to teach us through this passage and through the event of Pentecost is the nature and the character of our God. Right? I mean, imagine being Jesus' disciples in this room. Right? This was probably the last thing that anyone had expected. Yet this is how God begins the birth of what we now know as church. By causing people to preach about His goodness in other people's language. But this, if you really think about it, it's not that complicated, right? Like, like God empowering people to preach and testify of His goodness in other people's language is really simple. That could only really mean one thing. One, God really wants to reveal Himself to us. And two, He really wants people of all nations to come to know Him. That's really what I believe Pentecost event was about that God's desire to reveal Himself and God's desire for the nations. Because to learn a language, you know, many of us have learned a language. To learn a language requires what? Submission to a people. Anyone who has learned a new language knows how humbling learning can actually be. You know, in Korea, you got to start from 안녕하세요. You got to start from 감사합니다, right? For some of us, because our kids are going to like daycare and they're really advancing in their career and they become our teachers and we have to learn from them. Sometimes we go to grocery stores and we have to have them translate for us. Like five, but like, hey, can you ask me about carrots? Um, if you truly want to master a language, you really need to fall in love with the culture and the people. Sure, some of us have learned a language out of necessity, out of determination. But only when you and I truly fall in love with their culture and the people, the language, learning the language becomes enjoyable and fun. Right? 
You fall in love with the people, the food, right? Kimchi jjigae, doenjang jjigae, whatever jjigae you love, right? The food, the faces, the practices, the songs, the happiness, the sadness, the ambiguity, and truth. When you learn to speak a language, you learn to speak a people. And of course, that's been the image of God from the very beginning that the scripture has been revealing to us, right? God who walks among us in the garden, right? God the Son who entered creation as an alien, as one of us. Now we see God who have come to make his home in the hearts of sinful men and women like you and I. The image of God who is not deterred or discouraged by our brokenness or sin Instead, he comes into us and make home into our hearts to restore and renew and heal all of who we are. And what God had always spoken to Israel, now God speaks even more loudly in the voices of many here in this scene. Present at the scene, right? The teachings of Jesus begin to truly make sense parable about the kingdom of God, the story of Jesus going to the well in the Samaritan city, in the Samaritan town to meet that Samaritan lady, the story of the wonderful Samaritan neighbor, the call to forgive those who have hurt us, call to love even our enemies, the call to give away our lives so that others can gain life. This begins to make sense. And this is the love, right? The picture of love that cannot be tamed, that cannot be controlled, that cannot be planned. And once unleashed, it will drive the disciples and you and I toward the world beyond the walls of our comfort. For them, it was Jerusalem. For us, it may be something else. What this passage is speaking of is speaking of God's true nature wanting to reveal himself to the nations right we have a savior remember our savior was the first missionary who journeyed into a foreign land he moved into our ghetto neighborhoods right he took on humanity he took on all pain and suffering. He experienced all human emotions, not just the fun part, but even the hard betrayal, even rejection. In the end, that missionary, that Savior, chose to give away his life to save humanity and restore humanity back to the Father. And this is what Peter preaches to the gathered crowd in this passage. Chapter 2, verses 14 to 41, we get a full manuscript of first sermon that was ever preached in a church gathering. That's amazing, right? Probably the best sermon. 3,000 people came to know Jesus after Peter dropped the mic. And then and, and Peter just walks people through, right? Because people are asking, what does this mean? And Peter gets up and Peter says, remember Prophet Joel? Remember what Joel said? Remember the promises of God through him? Remember David, our patriarch, our national hero? Everybody loved David, right? This is a Jewish crowd. David is the national hero. Remember his words? Remember his confession? And verse 32, he says, All these things that you see, that you have heard, that you're experiencing, point us to one name. 
And his name is Jesus, whom you crucified. We have seen him overcome death, and we are all witnesses. All of us that are here, that are filled with the Spirit, we are now witnesses. And what you are seeing and hearing, what Peter says, is a continuation of that very mission that God had started from the very beginning. And so here, hearing Peter preach, Luke tells us, verse 37, the people, the crowd that was there were cut to their heart, and, and, and people started asking, what shall we do in response to this sermon? In verse 38, Peter simply says what? Repent and be baptized. And Luke tells us that day, 3,000 came to know Jesus. What a story. What an account. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I wish I was there to hear Peter preach. I wish I was there to see all the things that were happening, the, the tongues of fire and the wind and these wild things that were happening. And the temptation is to assume that this was then and this is now, right? Yet, yet we said from the beginning of this series, that the first sermon, the intro sermon of the book of Acts is this, right? That this book, the book of Acts, the account of the early church, is not a simply a historical account, something that was done back then and is no longer now. Instead, what Luke wants to tell us is that this is a living history. These wonderful things that have happened in the books, book of Acts is still happening among us today. Right? God is still calling nations to himself. God is still working in the hearts of people around us, whether we know it or not. God is still calling you and I to speak the wonderful works of God to people that we know and people that we may not know. And if God can use someone like Peter, he can use you. He can use me. All we really need to say is yes. Everyone say yes. Yes to God, right? Yes to repentance, right? All of us, we can repent. We can repent today of the way we've lived, of the way we have not lived. Yes to loving our neighbors, even if our neighbors are terrible and annoying and they're hard to get along with. We can say yes to sharing our money and time with those that are in need. Say yes to sharing our story of God because each of us have a story, a very unique story of God with those who are willing to listen. You see, friends, the mission of God has not ended with the book of Acts. The book of Acts continues in and through you here and now, and this is what we need to realize. But the only question that remains this morning is this. Are we willing to be led and guided by His Spirit? Are we willing to say yes to these small, mundane opportunities to speak, to share, to love uh, people that are around us, people that God may be prompting us? Again, I shared in the introduction sermon, you know, you may have a dream about somebody that you know. And first thing we'll probably say is we had too much meat last night or we had too much coffee. No, maybe God wants you to reach out. Give him a call and say, are you all right, Sam? Are you all right, Peter? How's it going? 
You're, you're, you're in a cafe. We're always in a cafe. We love coffee in the city. And you're just sitting next to somebody. And all of a sudden, you feel like God, God is highlighting someone across the table. And this is scary. And what we want to do is we just want to say, well, that's just, that's just weird. But maybe God wants you to just get up, go over, buy him a cup of coffee, and say, hey, how's it going? And, and, and that seems so weird and seems so hard, but actually as, as sort of people that are English speakers and foreigners, we actually have many opportunities. It is actually much harder for a, a Korean person to reach out to a Korean person because there's no culture of small talk. But, I mean, us, they don't know us. Well, we are already. We have an op- I mean, I'm, I'm always weird wherever I'm in social setting. Right? People don't know what, what's going on. This guy, rapper, pastor, whatever. But we have an opportunity. But, but we can only take those opportunities if we're willing to believe the book of Acts is continuing through our story. That God is writing the mission of God through us. And we are invited to join him. And he's going to do the big things. We just got to be willing to get up, sit down, buy him a coffee. It's $5 expensive, but you know what? That's not bad. $5 coffee, it might be coffee of your life. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. Uh, for such an amazing account. And, and, and we thank you for Luke, him having courage to, to really write down this, this, this crazy sort of event. But Lord, it is our desire to not just be an audience of the story and say, wow, that was amazing. Uh, we're just going to just hang on until Jesus comes back. Spirit, Work in our hearts. Spirit, as you have inspired these men and women in that room in Jerusalem, inspire us this morning. Remind us, God, the very nature of who you are, Jesus. What a wonderful God that we serve. That you you care for the nations. You care beyond just, just... what you're interested in, but you care about the nations. So we pray, Lord, as your sons and daughters, as we go on to our places, our, our meetings and our, our work and our, 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 our visits, give us sensitivity to your voice. Give us faith that you are doing so much more than we could ever see and imagine. Help us reimagine Pentecost and to know that you have done a wonderful thing and you are still doing that. Pray for everyone in this room as we go off to wherever we're going to speak, all of our schedules, all of our meetings. Give us courage. Awaken us, God. Awaken us, God. So we don't rob other people of the blessing that you want us to be. We thank you. We love you. Just let me pray. Amen.